Pip and I were talking just the other day about the very first vegetable garden we planted in the first year of our marriage. Uh, we had no experience, um, so we did everything wrong. We dug the lawn up superficially in the darkest corner of the section, no compost. We bought seed packets of our favourite vegetables and planted a row of each, beans and carrots and cabbages and lettuces, and we were surprised when they didn't grow very well. And those first years of gardening turned out to be a process of learning about the best way to cooperate with nature. When you're a gardener, you don't invent the physical laws that pertain to gardening. You discover them and learn to work with them so you can produce a good crop. Well, it seems to me that uh, there exist spiritual laws as well. And the parable of the talents is a great example of one of Jesus' stories that convey one of the major spiritual laws. When I was a chaplain um, quite a few years ago now at Nelson College, there were two stained glass windows in the assembly hall. I think there are some old boys of Nelson College here this morning. You'll remember those stained glass windows on either side of the organ depicting this very parable. And the obvious message was that boys should use the privilege of attending Nelson College as an opportunity to develop their gifts and abilities. Investment banks and mutual funds have also used images of the parable of the talents in their glossy magazines. So this parable has become relatively well known in our Western world and has become synonymous with capitalism and self-improvement and the Protestant work ethic. But there's a rather uncomfortable underbelly to this parable, of course, which I'm sure made many of us squirm that last sentence or two, because it seems to paint God in a rather unpleasant light. He seems to be portrayed as a harsh speculator, profiting at the expense of others, even a ruthless exploiter of our talents, to quote from Ian Paul, whose paper on this parable appeared in Friday's email, I won't have a raise of hands to see who did the homework in preparation for the sermon and read that email. And that's not even to mention stripping the poor third slave of the little he has left, the reference to the outer darkness and the horrendous description of the gnashing of teeth. But is this really how we should re read this parable? Well, the first question, of course, is how do parables work? What kind of oral and then literary devices are they? Well, most will be aware that a parable is not an allegory, for example, where there's a one-for-one -one correspondence between each detail of the story and a real-life referent. It does not work like an allegory. Um, for example, it would be quite wrong to jump in and say that the wealthy man going on the journey represents God. Additionally, a parable is not a morality tale where you can kind of read off good behavior simply and literally. Doesn't work like that either. The essential purpose of parables was actually to shock and disturb the hearer because bewilderment and a certain degree of discomfort is necessary in order to really understand the strangeness and the radical nature of God's kingdom. We tend to domesticate 
things very quickly. And the parable of the talents is a classic example of just sort of shrinking it down to something that's, that's straightforward and manageable. It was not originally intended to be manageable at all. The parables are more like political cartoons, where symbolism is used to subvert conventional wisdom. You see something new. You get it. You become aware of a situation in a brand new way. Parables are designed to wake us up and to get through our settled understanding of things. So to simply boil the parable of the talents down to the comfortable and hackneyed phrase of don't bury your talent is not entirely wrong, but it misses the main point. So we must begin by recognizing that the word translated talent originally referred to a measure of weight and subsequently to a measure of value, given that the weight was usually of silver or gold. So this is not primarily about using or developing our talents, even though the word is the same, rather than bearing them. Instead, the clear focus is on the extraordinary gift of God that he has given us. And this gift is not about what we have by way of our abilities and potentialities, but rather it's about the undeserved grace of God lavished upon us. Now, there are a number of features of the gift that are worth noting. First of all, a talent of gold was equivalent to 15 to 20 years of work for a laborer. It was a vast sum of money. So this is about the extraordinary generosity of God in the first instance, as he comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ. A talent was of surpassing value. So is God's love in Christ. The second feature of this lavish gift is that it is risky. The outcome is not guaranteed. In Christ, God put himself out there for us in the hope, but not the certainty, that we would respond to him. In Christ, God risks all to move towards us. Thirdly, notice that the talents were given lavishly without any particular conditions or instructions. We get the feeling that there must have been because of the accountability at the end. But if you read carefully those first few verses, the master gives no particular instruction to the slave as the gift is given. The slaves were not told to go away and trade. The gifts were given. What were the slaves, what would the slaves do? We don't know. This tension in the plot at that point. In the end, the first two responded according to the nature of the gift. And finally, the gifts were not given evenly. That's kind of taken as read in, in the parable. It's the structure of the parable, the five, the two, and the one. It says they were given according to the ability of each. It seems to me that we all have differing opportunities and differing capacities to receive and develop the gift of God. I myself feel enormously privileged because I grew up in a Christian home. I had mentors and role models along the way. I received a scholarship to undertake theological study. Furthermore, 
I'm aware of Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. So some have been given much, others not quite so much. And the gift given to the slaves is the gospel of God's grace. God's grace is of immeasurable value. God took a risk in coming to us in Christ. And now we have the free choice of responding to this gift in whatever way we choose. Now, turn your thoughts to the third slave, because this is where it gets interesting and perhaps a little bit more personal. The thing about the third slave is that he misunderstood both the giver and the gift. It says that he thought the master was a harsh man, reaping where he did not sow, etc. Notice that the master did not accept this critique. It was a misunderstanding. And just as importantly, the third slave misunderstood the nature of the gift. You see, God's grace is a gift that we have all received. We're in church this morning because in some measure or, or other, we feel that gift has been bestowed to us. But it's a particular kind of gift. It's not like a new shirt or a power tool or a box of hankies that we receive. You know, we thank the giver and then we use that gift for ourselves. God's grace is different. We can never own God's grace. It's something that only exists as it is given away. Think of Israel in the Old Testament. Their persistent failure was to try and keep God to themselves, to exclude the Gentiles and to try and retain God within their national and ethnic club. Here's an, the opposite example from the New Testament this time. It's my, from my favorite um, um, character, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you'll recall, experienced the grace of God. His heart was changed by the acceptance and love of Jesus. And immediately, he wanted to give the grace away to others. Remember, he promised to repay anyone whom he had defrauded uh, many times over. He received God's grace, was transformed, and immediately gave the gift away. So you see, the gift of grace is like no ordinary gift. It only exists as we give it away. And so God gave himself away in Christ. God gave himself as a kind of gift. Philippians 2 verse 6 puts it beautifully. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God gave himself away. This is the nature of God's love. God loved and so God gave. God's love was not something that is like a separate entity from God or even an emotion or sentiment. God's love expressed itself in action, in self-giving. And this is the spiritual law I mentioned earlier. The love of God only exists in our hearts as we receive it and pass it on to other people. 
It is not an emotion or sentiment that we can kind of roll around in our hearts in like a self-indulgent way, like a, a boiled sweet in the mouth. God's love only ever exists for us as we give it away to others. And as we do that, like the first two slaves, it yields 30, 60, and 100 fold. So the problem with the third slave who buried his talent in the ground was not that he was a bad venture capitalist or a talented but ultimately lazy sports person or, or student who don't use their talents properly. His problem was that he misunderstood the nature of the gift. The one thing you cannot do with the love of God is hang on to it as your private interior possession. If you try and do that, you will be subject to the spiritual law I mentioned earlier. If we hang on to God, we hang on to an experience of God, if we hang on to the love and acceptance of God even, we will find over time we will lose it. And it's not because of a nasty or gleeful God who tosses people into the darkness, but because it's a spiritual law. If we don't give these things, these spiritual benefits away to others, they wither and die. This is what C.S. Lewis had to say about it. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I would add, to love is to be vulnerable in such a way as you're giving that away to others with the risk that it might be rejected. But in God, in God's grace, we continue to do that. When Pip and I began gardening almost 40 years ago now, oh, by the way, our broad beans are that high, had to say that. We've had many uh, lovely meals of our broad beans. Um, but we were starting on a life, uh, lifelong journey of learning about and cooperating with the laws of nature. We weren't inventing them. We were trying to find out what, what they were like and how we could cooperate fully with them within our marriage. We were also on a journey discovering the relationship laws that enables couples to flourish. And by God's grace, we kind of bumped into a few and got a few things right. We were also on a journey with God, seeking to discover the, the gentle rule of God's grace in our lives. And I have learned that it's rather simple. Come to know God. Come to experience the wonder of God's love. Enjoy the richness of relationship with God. That is who we were made to be. Then, wait for it. Give that experience away to others. It's dangerous to hold on to it. 
It's selfish to privatize it. You must find ways of giving God's love and God's grace away. How? By commending our faith to others, by serving God and the church, by serving the community in a hundred ways, by reaching out to others. Pass on God's love. This is the essence of the parable of the talents. Then you will hear God say to you, enter into the joy of heaven. Amen.